Glad you could join us this morning. Uh, We want to say welcome to you. If you're here for the first time, we want to say welcome in this way. When we began this journey, uh, about six months ago, we launched planning prior to that. Um, We began this journey uh, just with this passion and vision that uh, church and faith community can be a place of belonging. We said, first and foremost, we want to invite people in our community of any walk of life uh, to find a place of belonging, that you can come here and and you will find uh, love and support and a place of belonging. It won't take long till you realize, hey, we are Jesus people. We love Jesus, and, and we are followers of Jesus, and we will invite you uh, in, in time to, to come to believe in Jesus yourself. And there's this beautiful thing when we believe and we put our hope in Jesus, and that is that, that, that he begins to change us, and we become who he has called us, who he has made us to be. And so as we begin this journey, uh, we just want to, uh, we, we, we wanted to see what, what sometimes is flipped upside down. If, if, you, if you act like us, if you believe like us, then you can belong. Sometimes faith community looks like that. And we said, man, we want to create a place of belonging. So if you're here for the first time this morning, uh, we just want you to know you're welcome. Uh, we, ho- we hope you find this a, a place that you can belong, that you can grow in relationship, that you can come to love people and to know people. Hey, so this morning we are continuing a series in the Gospel of Luke. And, um, and we've been studying the Gospel of Luke, the story of Jesus, um, uh, Luke's account of this man Jesus, the things that he did on earth, and we've seen incredible miracles as he's healed people, as um, we've heard incredible teachings, um, we've, uh, we've seen his closest followers come to believe, saying, you are the Messiah, you are the Savior. You are the hope of the world. And, uh, and, and, and now we're continuing track as Jesus uh, moves both physically and, um, uh, and, and, uh, and, and just in timeline towards the cross. Jesus is, is, is approaching Jerusalem. A time is coming uh, when, when he will be crucified. And so he's teaching and he's healing and he's loving and he's preparing his apostles to carry on what he has begun. And, uh, and so today we're going to be in Luke chapter 15 and we're going to be in uh, my favorite story in all of scripture. It's a beautiful story um, that Jesus tells about lost people and lost things. Now, if you were here a few months ago, uh, Jen Deanhill, in a message called Love Letters, spoke uh, on, on the subject of Luke 15 as well. That was a part of what she did, and I would encourage you to go back in the podcast and to check that out. She's going to come at it from a, a little bit different angle that, that is beautiful and so valuable. So I'd encourage you to go back and, and reference that as, as well in the weeks to come. Have you ever been lost? Do you, do you know what it's like to really be lost well, let me ask this, and you can raise your hand if you want. I'd just love to see that happen. Um, are you directionally challenged? Okay, we got a few that'll say, yeah, I am just, I'm directionally challenged. I mean, I can be, you know, driving to work and take a wrong turn. Same turns I make every day, and I can, I can make that wrong turn, right? Some of us are directionally challenged. Uh, I remember years ago, Sarah and I were newlywed, and we're driving in Seattle, and this is, um, this is before GPS, and so she was holding a map in the passenger seat, and, uh, and I was driving, and we we're on busy freeways, and I remember after like the third missed exit, and each, missed exit. I mean, that could be 20 minutes getting turned around in Seattle's traffic, right? After the third missed exit, I said, come on, get your head in the game. But you know, that was incredibly inappropriate. Don't ever try that. It didn't, didn't turn out real well. Um, 
it's the way I felt, but I realized, you know, it, she, wasn't, she wasn't doing anything wrong. She wasn't trying to do anything wrong. We were just working this out. Thank God for the invention of uh, GPS. So now that's not so much of an issue. And we've had a healthy marriage for 15 years because of GPS. So that's, that's a good thing, right? Um, just, but some of us were directionally challenged, right? And um, I remember a time had, being lost. Like I was trying to think of a time in life that I was lost. And I remember when we were kids camping, um, uh, we, as, as we got old enough to explore a way to go and play, uh, we would always have whistles uh, with us. We'd wear a whistle around our neck. If you're lost, if there's an emergency, you've got a whistle. And that could be heard for a long way out in the woods. And so I remember a time, it wasn't a time that I got lost, but it was a, it was a time that I, I needed a rescue. I remember we were uh, playing tag in the woods and I was running full speed, and I decided to hurdle over a five-foot log. It might not have been five foot. It might have only been a foot. I don't know. All I know is I was running full speed, and for whatever reason, I did not clear that log. And my feet caught, and uh, we human beings, our wings are just so underdeveloped that no matter how hard I flapped, I could not, ch- I could not change the trajectory of my fall. And so I am coming forward. I land on my chest and chin at the same time, right? And it just knocks the wind out of me. Now, now, the great thing about a whistle is you have a way to call for help. The bad thing about a whistle is if you knock the wind out of yourself, you can't use it. And so uh, I, for what felt like a lifetime, I could not blow into this whistle. And uh, finally, I get a little bit out. And I remember laying there uh, out of breath, the wind knocked out of me, uh, wondering if I'm, I'm dying. I remember hearing my dad charging through the woods. I remember hearing him running through the woods and I knew I'd be okay. Like, like I, I can still like, I, I get the sensation now when I tell that story of hearing that sound and knowing that he's coming. And today we're going to talk about a father that, that loves, a father that runs to his children, no matter the circumstance, a father that is there to love, there to rescue, there to heal, there to help. So Jesus has told uh, a series of parables as we, as we approach uh, Luke chapter 15, verse 11 today. He's, he's told two parables previous to it. He, he told a parable of a lost sheep, a parable about a shepherd who had a hundred sheep and one went missing. And he left the 99 in a safe place and he went out in pursuit of that sheep. The first story was about the pursuit of this father. We won't see that as much in the third. And so if we looked only at Jesus' third parable about a lost son, we would miss the idea of pursuit, that this father is in pursuit of his lost children. And then he told the story of a lost coin uh, and, and, and spoke of a woman who had only a few coins and lost one. And, and just her, um, her unrelenting desire to find that coin that she needed so desperately. And so in both stories, it spoke of a God that pursued, that desperately wanted to be reunited with what was lost. This third story will continue to talk to the character of God, but it will also talk about us. It'll, it'll also talk a lot about uh, God's children and, and sometimes the way life looks and the way it's lived. So we'll be in Luke chapter uh, 15, verse 11. So Jesus continued, there was a man that had two sons. The younger came to him and he said, Father, uh, divide, uh, uh, give me my share of your estate. So he divided his property between them. Well, not long after that, the, the younger son, he gathered up all that he had, headed off for a distant country, and there he squandered his wealth in wild living. 
After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine throughout the entire land, and he began to be in need. So he hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him into his field to feed his pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired men have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and I will go to my father and I'll say to him, father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son, but make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and he went to his father. But while he was still a long ways off, his father saw him. He ran to him, and he was filled with compassion for him. And he ran to him, and he threw his arms around him, and he kissed him. The son said, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said, The father said to his servants, quit, go and get the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was lost and is found. This son of mine was dead and is alive. He is lost and he's found. And so they began to celebrate. I love the depth in this story. I, I love... I love the layers to it. The number of times we can come to this text and uh, and define meaning in this story. You know, today we live in in the age of of cinema. Uh, we we experience things and stories visually. It takes on a whole new nature for us as we see some multi-million or billion dollar production, right? And I can only imagine what it would look like were Hollywood to make this story, the explosions and the parties and the things that are happening in this other country. But you see, this, this oral form of storytelling, this is a little bit foreign to us. So I spent a lot of time in this text this week um, just memorizing it and reciting it, and and trying to hear this story, and all that's behind it, all of the layers in the story. And I was drawn so much to the fact that it's easy, as we just hear a story or read it on paper, to miss the emotion, to miss the real-life feelings caught up in, in every piece of the story. I imagine were they to put this story to film, what it might be like as, as they demonstrate the nature of this younger son. I don't know, did he grow up selfish, right? Did he grow up just with desires for himself? Would we show some scenes of how he treated people around him or the servants in the household? You know, a son that can say to his father, uh, in, in first century culture, this request, God give me, or Father, give me my inheritance. Uh, he, he quite literally said to his father, I care more about your stuff than about you. All I want is your stuff. That's the request the son made of his father. So we'd have seen uh, maybe a selfish young man. We'd have, we'd have wondered why, why would the father be so reckless as to give what culturally was not even right to give in the season of life to a son whom he likely knew what was going to do with it. 
And yet the father loved generously, even recklessly in the story as he, as he goes ahead and gives to his son. Can you imagine the scene as the son arrives in this distant country? Isn't it amazing how wealth and parties can attract people? Can, can you imagine what it was like for him to walk into the city and he has all sorts of wealth to blow on anything he wants? And man, did he, right? And so, so crowds flock to him and he is the life of the party because he's paying the bill at the end of the night after all, right? And, and so f- crowds flock to him. You know, it, it doesn't take long to burn through what we have when we live rec- recklessly, you know, uh, there, there's no savings going on here. Uh, he, he's not being careful with his fund, but he's with his funds. But instead, he's just living life in whatever way he wants. So quickly, it runs out, and conveniently, there's a famine in the land at the same time. Also, conveniently, uh, the friends that were there while he had the funds were no longer there. So he's alone in a distant country, and he finds himself hiring himself out in the only way he can to apparently the only person he could, because here he is sitting next to a pig trough, desperate for food, so desperate that the food the pigs are eating looks appealing to him. I don't know if you've ever been down and out in life. I've had seasons in life where, like this younger son, um, as a sophomore in high school, that I, I chose my own path, that I decided to live life the way that I wanted to. And in similar ways, I found myself just crushed by the weight of the decisions that I had been making. A, a reckless life with no thought for the future and no thought for saving and responsibility. There's a fascinating phrase in here as he finds himself at the bottom in this pit of despair. And, and, he's, and it says, but no one gave him anything. And I I wonder if as he sat there mourning the fact that no one would give him anything to eat, if it ever crossed his mind that his father had given him everything, had already given him everything. This is not a man who who good and, and, and wealth has been withheld from, right? His father had given him everything and he'd squandered it away. So here he finds himself in the lowest of lows. And it says that he came to his senses. And and, and I think that's an interesting phrase. He came to his senses. Apparently, everything previous in the story had just been insanity, senseless, wasteful, wanton type of living, right? And, And so he comes to his senses, and he realizes, I don't have to sit here and starve, because I think my father might be generous enough that even after all I've done, he would hire me back as, as a hired servant. I would live in his home, but I'd have clothing and I'd have food. I could survive like that. He's finally come to his senses and realized that his father is generous and, and in spite of the hurt, would likely take him back and continue to love him. And so it says this, so he got up. He got up. Have you ever found yourself in that place in life where it's hard just to get up and to start? I know what that's like. I mean, there's the big seasons in life where it's hard to get started. It's time for major changes. And maybe some of us here today are in that place where we're saying, it's time for major changes. And it's time to stand up. 
But sometimes it happens just over the course of a week. As the days come and go, those moments when it's just hard to start. But the son has come to his senses, and he knows the first step. So he gets up, and he, and he approaches his father. He moves towards his father. And the father, while he's still a long ways off, remember this, this looks like the dad's just waiting and not caring, but remember this is paired with two other parables to make very clear the father is in pursuit of his child, right? And so the best this parable can do, every parable and every story is limited. Uh, so the best this story can do is say, but while he was far off, like the moment he was within, I shot. Or, or, his, his father, he saw him. And his father is filled with compassion for him. Of all the things the father could think in that moment, and of all the things fathers often do think uh, when, when children do wrong things, I love this. The father is filled with compassion. And so the father runs to him and throws his arms around him, and he brings the best of the household. Remember, this is the household uh, that, that this son has no inheritance in, but the father says, no, the best of what we still have is yours because you're my son. So he throws his arms around him and kisses him. There's this beautiful lyrical twist in here that I'd never noticed before. The son had three lines planned in his speech to his father. Um, I've sinned against heaven and against you. Um, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son, so make me like a servant in your household. But as he approaches... In the embrace of his father, he says the first two. He says, uh, Father, um, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But before he could say, so make me like a servant, his father turns away and says to his servants, go get the best and put it on my son. It's as though the father interrupts the last phrase, begging to be a servant, to speak to the servants of the household and say, no. You're not one of, you're not a hired hand in my household. You are my son. And we catch a glimpse in there of a generous and a loving father. Now let's be honest, there's consequences for decisions. Sometimes we could take this story and paint a really cheap picture of, of a God, of a God's love for us. Sometimes we could, we could take this and say, see, so we can do anything we want, cause God will still love us, right? And, and, and I get how you could go there. But this son has suffered consequences for his decision. This son is now adopted back into this household, but we'll soon learn that the inheritance still belongs to his brother. He has wasted away what was his, right? But this, this father, shows a remarkable amount of love and compassion for his child in spite of the consequences that his child is suffering because of his actions. Notice the spirit of the son in the story. As the son comes in a repentant fashion, that is, the son comes to apologize. He realizes his wrongs. And as I consider us in this story as sometimes that son, as this, as this younger son, uh, we, we realize this posture in which we approach God, saying, God, I am not worthy. And I do want to say there is freedom. There is freedom in a posture that says, God, I can't do it, and I have fallen short. And, and as much as that, that's humbling and we don't like humbling things, I would twist that, I would spin that to say, no, there is freedom in acknowledging our own weakness 
and just crying out to a father that we know loves unconditionally. We see a father whose love does not end. And the story continues, and I'll read the last portion briefly. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. And when he came near to the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of his servants and asked him uh, what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him safe, him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and he refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. You never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and to be glad Because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He is lost and is found. It would be hard to be the older brother in this story. Wouldn't it be hard to accept back that son? There would be a lot of resentment. There would be a lot of anger. There would be um, a lot of jealousy that it would breed in our own lives. As we say, but I've done it right. And, and these things that you're giving him, that ring you put on his finger, that's actually my ring, right? This is, that's, that's my inheritance. Why does he get more after all he's done? You know, the son, the older son has a valid point, a good argument. And in one respect, he's right. But here's the interesting thing about being right as it relates to our relationship with God. It can drive a wedge in our relationship with people around us and even a relationship with our Father. You see, when, when being right becomes our only priority, rather than showing the love that the Father has for the Son, when being right becomes our only priority in life, it can drive a wedge between people and between us and God. You see, because the story plays out in this way. The son, the older son, doesn't go into the celebration. He doesn't get to rejoice with his father. He doesn't get to celebrate with his friends. This is his opportunity to celebrate, to have a party, to enjoy. His father is inviting him to a place of celebration. But his resentment and and his opinion that, that I have done it right and he has not, so I will not. You see, this is actually a story of two lost sons. We talk about the prodigal son, the lost son singular, but this is a story of two lost sons because neither of them has been able to accept and enjoy the blessing and inheritance that their father is giving them. Both of them are outside of that blessing over the course of this story. So we begin to ask ourselves, you know, where do, where do we find ourselves in this story? Well, we can definitely resonate um, with a younger son who has gone away and made mistakes. We can all reflect on times in life, and maybe very recently, that that we have chosen our way rather than God's way, and we've squandered away his good blessing. And here's the good news for us this morning. God loves unconditionally. That nothing we have done separates us from the love of God. Now, there's an important application that extends beyond that, to realize that, that nothing anyone else has done separates them from the love of God either. 
And so there's this reciprocal peace in which we realize the blessing that God has given me and we do our best to reciprocate that in the world around us. That having been forgiven, I am inspired to forgive. Having been loved, I am inspired to love a world around me. And each of us here today live in a a life of broken relationships. People that we knew and loved that have betrayed us, that we've been hurt by. And I do want to invite us to to not only consider that, that we are being forgiven, that we are being restored, that we are receiving God's love, but that we are invited to take that love and to reciprocate that process in the world around us. That we are invited to, to try to, to, to try to restore relationship. That we are invited to show love in spite of hurts and wrongs. Please don't let me, don't hear me cheapening the hurt that we have experienced in those relationships. Um, restoration can take a long time and sometimes never comes in those relationships. Uh, but love can be found. I do believe that we can find a place in life where we can forgive, where we can release ourselves from the weight and the burden and, and the baggage that came with that broken relationship and say, it doesn't have to be my burden any longer because I will choose love. I will choose forgiveness over the hurt. And then, of course, we can resonate in the story. We can relate to an older son who's resentful, of the actions of others. We, we've been there. Uh, co- <laughs> uh, other Christian people and, and just frustrated by the way they live and the things they do. And isn't it amazing how that resentment can, can drive a wedge between us and God, certainly between us and them. But we are invited to reflect on the story of an older son who, who, who the father says, who God says, no, you are invited into my celebration. We are invited to move beyond some of the hurt and frustration with those relationships, invited to move beyond our superior position of having been right or done it right, right? To move beyond that superiority complex and move into a place in which we just get to celebrate the beautiful things that God is doing all around us, that we get to celebrate what God is accomplishing in the world. And when the most broken, hurting, and vile of people come to God, and say, you know, I need you, that we get to celebrate saying that God was good to me and God is good in their lives as well. We get to, we get to find ourselves in a place of celebration with our Father. Here's what I want to leave us with this morning. As we go into our weeks, I want to invite you to consider um, uh, how has God been showing unconditional love in, in your life? What has it looked like recently? Has it been in the form of forgiveness? Has it been in the form of a kind word from someone around you? Has it been in the form of that just warm embrace and that realization of his presence in a time of prayer? God loves unconditionally and invites you to reflect on how God has been revealing his unconditional love to you over the course of the last week and in the week to come to, to, to live life asking God, where is your love in my life in this moment? Reveal your love to me in my life. I'd like to invite us to a place of realizing that, that this Father loves so radically, so generously, that we and the people around us are invited into right relationship with him. No one has gone too far to return to God, but we, his children, are invited into his good inheritance. We're invited into his 
good blessing and his celebration. Let's pray about that together. Father, thank you for a time together this morning. We thank you for a time to look at your word, Father, to, um, to hear from one of uh, just the most beautiful stories uh, in Scripture. And, and Father, we thank you uh, for a story of the brokenness uh, of humanity and your unconditional love in spite of it. Uh, Father, I pray that you will uh, invite us to know your love in the week to come. Father, that we can realize and experience your love in the week to come. Father, for those of us that come broken and hurting and, and from a, a long way off, Father, let us know your love and nearness as you run to us to wrap your arms around us. Father, help us not to live lives um, considering ourselves superior, right, or proper in action, but instead, Father, to celebrate you and your goodness in our lives, to celebrate your goodness in the lives of people around us. Father, we thank you for Jesus and the hope that we have found in him. We thank you, God, for your unrelenting love. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.